Good evening, everyone. I'd like to welcome you to our Bible study for Calvary Baptist Church of Treehern. We're in a different, little different setting today. Uh, my wife and I are in uh, Saskatoon. My wife's brother, uh, they diagnosed him with cancer and they don't give him much time, so we uh, decided to come and see him. And so we're having our Bible study this evening uh, remotely. Uh, my wife and I are in a motel room right now, <clears throat> and uh, other people are in our church building back in Treehern, and uh, we'd like to welcome each one that has joined us, and we're just going to, we're not going to have any hymns today, and we'll just have a word of prayer, and then we'll get into our Bible study, so we'll have a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we're thankful that we have thy word, we're thankful for the comfort that we can know in having thy Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, as our Savior. And we're thankful for the hope that we can have now and into the future. And we do pray for Jack and pray that he might see the importance of knowing thee and that we could be a help to him in the short time that we have here in Saskatoon. And uh, just pray for wisdom, for boldness, and uh, faithfulness to thee, that we would honor thee in our words and in our actions. We pray for our country of Canada, pray for the soul, saving of many souls in this country, for our Prime Minister, his cabinet, and the opposition parties, as there's a lot of scheming going on, and a lot of uh, planning, and a lot of uh, corruption, and under-the-table money, and, and the elections are really not elections. We're thankful, Father, that we have a God who sets up kings and takes them down, and so we look uh, to thee for the freedom that we need in this country to be able to preach thy word and uh, we know that in other uh, centuries other times that persecution has been much more severe than we have today just pray that we would be uh, fit to serve thee today trusting in thee and able to Press forward with thy word and help people to know the truth in spite of the opposition of the enemy. We pray for uh, the nation of Israel. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem, that many would be saved in that country, for Mr. Netanyahu, for his cabinet, for those that are opposing the changes that they want to make to the Supreme Court, which will be helpful for the country in regard to truth is what truth is concerned and We know that Israel is going to face a lot of trouble yet, and we pray that many would be saved in these days of grace. We pray also for the uh, Iran and for Syria and Hezbollah and Hamas and the uh, Lebanese uh, situation as well. We pray, Father, that uh, if there are any Christians in those countries, that uh, they would be faithful to Thee, they would honor Thee and be able to help others to know Thy peace and blessing. We continue to pray as well for the situation in Ukraine, and we know that there's a lot of corruption there, and we pray for the Christians there as well as in Russia. Pray that they would be faithful and honor thee and be encouraged in thee today and know thy peace and blessing. We thank thee for our services that we have via Zoom with the Filipinos, and we pray for them as well that they would be able to join us and to know thy peace and blessing as they do join and we pray for that country as well and for the leadership there which is very corrupt as well pray for the uh, christian pastors that are in that country that they would be faithful and bold for thee 
that we know that many of the, the people there are trained in the Jack Hiles philosophy and we do pray that the truth would go forth there and, and not the corruption that uh, people could know the truth and know thy peace and blessing in their hearts. So we ask that thou wouldst guide us tonight that thy will be accomplished through this study as we continue to study church history that we would allow thee to direct us and that uh, we would be encouraged to stand strong on thy word in our generation realizing that thy word is true and that we have a God who is faithful and a Savior who promised to build his church upon himself and so we can stand strong for thee as long as we stand upon the truth. So we pray that thy will be accomplished that we would set aside anything that would hinder us from learning of thee tonight and anyone that's not saved and listening that they would see the need to humble themselves and trust in the blood of thy son alone to save them we pray in Jesus name amen so this evening we're continuing to look at church history we've been looking at that for the last couple of weeks looking at uh, first of all the history from the first uh, century, from the time when Jesus was just after he left this earth, actually while he was on this earth as well, but then after he ascended back up to heaven and the apostles uh, established many churches in the first century. And we know that Jesus addressed those churches, some of them, seven churches in Revelation chapter two and three. And uh, there were problems then already and there have been problems ever since. So we're going to read this evening from 2 Timothy chapter 3. And we're going to read there the first seven verses of that passage. 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting there at verse 1. And it says there, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. In particular, I want us to think about verse 7 there, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And as we study church history, we see that there have been people in every generation since Jesus Christ ascended back to heaven, there have been people that have been uh, practicing religion. There have been a few people in every generation that have been genuinely saved. They've been born again, and they have joined with a true church, and they have been able to reach out into their communities in their time. But we know that corruption has been there as well, and corruption has grown throughout church history. The main uh, vehicle of that corruption is the Catholic false religion, 
and Catholicism is a false religion. It has always been a false religion. It was never true and fell away, uh, but it has always been false. But there have been other groups that that did have the truth at one point, and then they rejected it. They no longer built upon Jesus Christ as their rock. So the promise that Jesus made in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, is upon this rock I will build my church. So when a person or a body decides they're not going to build on that rock, the Lord Jesus Christ, they are no longer a true church. And that is what has happened to to some of the ones that were at one time true. Many of the groups, as we're going to see as we continue church history, they never were true. That would include the Lutherans and the Presbyterians, most of them, maybe a few of the Presbyterians were, the Anglicans as well, and other groups like that who who decided that following a man was more important than following God. And whenever we become men worshipers, we have a problem because no man is infallible. And when we build upon a man, we're going to fall. We need to build upon the truth. We need uh, human leaders. The Bible tells us that. We need uh, pastors and teachers and evangelists. And the Bible tells us that there were... um, apostles and prophets in the past they were also men but they were men apostles and prophets were men who God chose and through them he gave us the scriptures and so he inspired his word as it was given through those men but today we have evangelists and pastors and teachers living and they are not inspired I'm a pastor but I'm not inspired of God I'm not chosen by God to add anything to the Word of God. It's a completed book, and there doesn't need to be anything added. There's more in the Bible than we can fully understand and follow in our lifetime, as a matter how long a person lives. And so we have enough material given to us by God that we can know what's wrong, how to fix it, and how to live right. And so what's wrong is that man is born a lost sinner because Adam chose to sin against God. He chose to defy the true God and to listen to the lie of the devil, and he became a sinner. And Eve was also a sinner, but the Bible uh, credits Adam with bringing sin into the world. He was the one that God made responsible. The Bible is a patriarchal book. So Adam was the one who was responsible for Eve, responsible for their children, just as every father is responsible for his children. We cannot hide behind our wives. We cannot blame them. We are the ones who are to set the standard. We are the ones to, to set the tone and to give the example of what a true Christian is supposed to look like and behave like as we humbly submit to God and follow him. Every human father is going to fail, and it's important for us as fathers to understand that and to acknowledge that personally before God and ask for forgiveness when we do sin, and also to ask for forgiveness when we sin against our wives and our children, that they don't get a wrong impression of who God is and what it means to follow him. So it's very important to walk humbly with God at all times. So as we continue to look at the 
Corruption Knows No Limits. That's the title of today's study. Corruption Knows No Limits. And we're going to always be reminded as we look at this that in the midst of the corruption, God is always faithful. So in every generation, as the Bible talks about, there will always be a remnant of true believers. And so the important thing is to believe what God's word says. Build your life upon the word of God. So as we look at these verses again that we read at the opening, God directed the Apostle Paul to warn Timothy. Second Timothy is one of the pastoral epistles. And so Paul is writing to Timothy and he's warning him of what it's going to be like in the last days. We are living in the last days today. We are living in perilous times. Um, I listened to uh, uh, a man from Ontario this week, and he was being interviewed. He, I don't believe that he's a Christian man. He's a Calvinist. Um, but as a Calvinist, he, he uh, believes in his version of God. And uh, he commented in the part of the interview that I watched how that there were many churches uh, that did not even bother to try to stay open during the last three years when we had the government shutdown that took place for no good reason. And uh, they thought, the government thought, they could tell uh, churches when they could be open and when they could not be open. <clears throat> and uh, it's uh, very interesting that this man noticed that there were many religious groups that did not even bother to try to stay open. This man and his church, they they had several fines. They're still dealing in the courts with some of their uh, legal issues as a result of the last three years. And uh, <clears throat> he is continuing to stay open. Now, he's doing that as, as far as I can understand. I mean, from everything I know about him, he's doing that as a man that is following a man. He's following John Calvin. He takes the Bible and he reads the Bible, parts of it. He reads it from a perversion, and he makes his teaching based on his perversion and based on his indoctrination from John Calvin. It's so important that we are instructed properly. As we noted in verse 7, about the people that Paul warns about. In verse 5 it says they have a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such turn away. And that would apply to this man that I'm talking about and it would also apply to many others and in verse 7 it says ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And Why is that? Why is it that people can spend years studying, even studying the Bible and never come to the knowledge of the truth. Well, the reason is because they refuse to study the Bible by itself. They allow someone else to filter the Bible through some other man's teaching. So, for instance, there are many people, the Presbyterian religion is, has many that way, and uh, other groups do too, that are Calvinists. And so the Calvinist, when he reads the Bible, he doesn't just take the Bible and read it and study what the Bible says, but he reads it through the lens of John Calvin's teachings. Uh, John Calvin uh, had uh, some books called the, the, the Institutes, 
And uh, those books are the indoctrination for the Calvinist teaching. And so what they read in the Bible, they read it through the lens of what John Calvin believed. Now, John Calvin was a persecutor himself. He uh, ordered true born-again Christians who believed the Bible and who believed in, in the baptism upon confession of faith, he ordered them to be killed. So John Calvin was no better than the popes. And so anybody that builds upon him is building upon a corrupt foundation. We need to build upon the truth. So that's why I try to point you to the truth, to the Word of God. You need to build upon that. You can't even build upon yourself. Now, we have talked many times about the importance of the local church. And if you read, if you received our devotional this morning and you read it, you know that Paul, in writing to the Thessalonians, he talks about those that are in the church in Thessalonica. It is very important for a Christian to be a part of a local church. You cannot sit in your house and have a, a, a meeting in your house by yourself and say that you're in church because you're not. Uh, you need to be in a church. You need to be in a group of people that are seeking to know the Lord. And there needs to be the, the main point is the word of God. And there should be a pastor. If we go to uh, Acts chapter 2, that's what we find there, is that they had uh, in their 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 church they had they had the apostles in the first century and then the apostle paul he trained timothy to be a pastor titus was another one and there are other men we don't have the names of them all but a local church needs to meet somewhere it can meet in a house but it's more than just a family it's it's a, a group of believers that meet together and is reaching out to the lost in their area but under god's authority and that's very important that we understand that. Uh, today, it's, uh, it's becoming more difficult, I understand that, because there used to be far more churches than there are today, even though many of those churches were corrupt. Today, there are fewer and fewer true churches, but there still are true churches. And as we find the Apostle Paul, he traveled around to different places as an apostle and as an evangelist, and he spread the gospel wherever he went and, and helped to establish churches in many of the places that he went. And we know that the people at times had to travel quite a distance in order to get to a church. Now, they didn't have jets. They didn't have cars. And a lot of times they walked. Some of them, if they had the, the money, they would have a donkey, maybe an ox and a cart. But still, they wouldn't get very far in a day traveling that way. So we know that the churches were much closer together, but we also know that the people had a hunger for the truth. And, and that will still be the same way for anybody that's truly saved. There will be a hunger for the truth. And so that hunger will cause you to make time for attending a true church. It's the same thing physically. When you are hungry, you can sometimes go a, a day without food, uh, you might go a couple of days without food, but eventually you're going to get hungry enough that you're going to say, okay, I'm going to set aside some time now to eat. And as we travel today, we stopped in, 
in uh, one town at close to noon, and uh, we had brought some some food along from home, and so we stopped, we got some fuel, and then we pulled off to the side and organized our food that we were going to eat, and uh, then we took off, and my wife thought that we would stop and eat there, but I figured, well, if we stop here, we're going to run out of time, because we almost did anyway, we barely got here in time to have this service, so we didn't really have the time to just sit there and eat. So we ate while we were driving, but we had prepared the food, and then we made provision to be able to eat the food so that we could carry on. So as we look at our spiritual lives, we need to take the time, and that's why we are having this Bible study tonight. And for those that are meeting in our church building in Treehern, and for those that are live streaming, we're thankful for each one that has taken the time to stop what you're doing. And I hope that during this time that you will not be running around and doing different things, but you will actually take the time to set aside anything else that would interfere. Now, if there's young children that need to have help, that's, that's understandable. But generally speaking, we need to set aside that time so that we can benefit from the time that we have in God's Word. So we're going to look at, as we continue our study of the church history, we're going to look at additional corruptions to what we've already seen. And we've already seen that that so-called infant baptism was introduced by the Catholics. And one other thing that was added together with that, which we haven't talked about yet, was infant communion. Now, the Bible teaches, if you go in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Jesus is the one that introduced uh, the Lord's Supper to the disciples prior to his crucifixion. And then uh, in 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul was directed by God. The Apostle Paul was trained by Jesus Christ as well. Every one of the apostles, that's one of the the marks of a true apostle is that each one of them had to personally be trained by Jesus Christ. So the Apostle Paul was saved after Jesus Christ went back up to heaven. But the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ met with the Apostle Paul. We know that he met with him on the road to Damascus and he spoke to him directly. And then the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ spent three years teaching the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was in the desert of Arabia, and that's where he was trained to be an apostle. So he wasn't trained, and he makes that very clear. He wasn't trained by James or any of the other uh, apostles or disciples. He was trained by Jesus Christ himself, and that was important for an apostle. Now today there are no apostles, I can't say that I was trained by Jesus Christ directly, because I wasn't. But I've been trained by the Word of God and by men who helped me to understand how to uh, study the Bible and how to apply it and how to pay attention to the context. And that's important. When you're doing Bible study and when we're teaching the Bible, it's important to pay attention to the context. Now, most of my studies that I do and most of my preaching is expositional. These studies that we're doing right now, they're not expositional. We're not spending the bulk of our time in 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're looking at different verses 
and we're looking at a topic and the topic is church history and so that's something that I try to limit my use of that because the best way I believe for us to learn the Bible is to study it in its context in book form that's how God gave it and yes we can sometimes look to other places and compare scripture with scripture that's important to do that but we keep the context of the book that we're looking at in mind. So as we look at the matter of infant communion, we're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and you see there in that passage, verse 23, it says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. So you see there that Paul says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you. As we already mentioned, Paul was trained personally by Jesus Christ. And so in verse 24, it says, When he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take it, this is my body, which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup, when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, this do ye as oft as ye drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. For Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Now, one of the things that we understand, and we know that, those of us that are adults, we know that an infant is not capable of making up its own mind in regard to whether it's worthy of partaking of the Lord's Supper. An infant doesn't know uh, until it is able to uh, grasp things. It doesn't understand what sin is and when it has sinned. It knows by discipline that parents discipline their children. So a child will learn uh, what disobedience is. They'll learn what lying is. But they have to learn to listen to God through their conscience in regard to their need of salvation. There are children listening to me tonight that are not saved, and uh, they need to learn to listen to God in their conscience and in their heart instead of brushing it off and keeping themselves busy with all kinds of other things. They need to pay attention to what God is telling them in their heart because there are some of those children that are already accountable. They're not infants any longer. But infant communion is not biblical because an infant is dependent upon mother and father to feed them and to change their diaper and to dress them and so on. They don't have the capacity to choose uh, whether they're fit or not to partake of the Lord's Supper. They're they're not baptized. They're, they, don't, they, don't, they don't give a testimony because they can't talk. So they can't be baptized. They can't be part of a church. They're not members of a church. So how then can they partake with the Lord's Supper? And so uh, infant communion is something, again, that was done by the Catholics. And it was done as a part of their infant baptism, which is not really baptism either. And what they were doing is rejecting what the Bible teaches, that salvation is by God's grace, and it's as we put our faith in God 
trusting in him, trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ for our salvation, that's what salvation is. The Catholics change that to it's a work salvation, and they, they use the same tactic as our governments have done in the last three years. They try to force people to follow their version of truth, and they use threats against those who would not do that. Same thing our government did. They tried to use force to try to make everyone stay in their house, to wear a mask or a face diaper, as some people have called them. They tried to force people to take the shots. And if you traveled somewhere and you came back and you didn't have your, your paperwork and everything in place, they tried to force people into quarantine. They did a lot of things, and they, they would use threats of of uh, fines and imprisonment for those who would not listen to them and so they used fear as a motivator to get people to do what they wanted them to and sadly most people were willing to bow to that uh, we were driving today and talking a little bit about that and 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 I said to my wife I said if if the business people in our country would have simply said no we're not closing our doors. We're not going to require people to wear a mask. We're not going to waste money on all this plexiglass and, and uh, social distancing in our building and so on. We're not going to do that because there's no evidence that it's necessary and no evidence that it works. And if the business people would have said no, it would have never gone to where it went in the first place. But the business people they submitted to the government because the business people are very greedy. And the government offers handouts for this and handouts for that and tax breaks for this and that. And so the business people, they want more money all the time. And so they gave in to the ungodly dictates of the government. And many churches are also, sadly, they're greedy. They have taken a charitable status so that they can give out tax returns, tax receipts, so that they can get more money from people. Whereas what God says is we're to give a, a, a cheerful giver. We're to be giving because we love the Lord, not because we're going to get something back from the government. And, and so we have a wrong motivation, and most people have been trained that that's the way they should think. They shouldn't be giving unless they're going to get a tax receipt, and then they're told, well, that's good stewardship. You can get some money back from the government if you give this amount to the church. Well, no, it's not good stewardship because 10% belongs to the Lord, not 10% less whatever the government is going to give you back in a tax return. It's 10% belongs to the Lord. And so, and then besides that, the offerings. And so <clears throat> we have been groomed for many years to think unbiblically. And so we could go back to that verse in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 7, ever learning and ever coming to the knowledge of the truth. Because most people, they never stop to think, why is my church a charitable, have charitable status? Why do I give expecting a tax receipt at the end of the year? Can you find me where in the Bible that is taught? And, of course, you can't. And so there are many things that, 
And I speak from experience for many years. I followed that same pattern because I was raised that way. I was taught that way. And that's what I did. But as I studied the Bible, I saw that there are things that, that I was taught that I couldn't support with the Bible. I couldn't tell people, here, this is the verse or this is the passage. Here's where we get it from. Here's why we do what we do. I couldn't do that with regard to registering our church with the government. The church doesn't belong to the government. As we already quoted earlier, Jesus said, Upon this rock, speaking of himself, will I build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. No true church belongs to the government. The government doesn't have the authority to tell a church when it can preach and when it can't preach and when they can sing a hymn or if they can sing a hymn. That's not the, the government's prerogative. Now, if a church was a gun-smuggling church or a, a selling liquor and, and stuff like that, yes, then I could say to the government, okay, they can, they can stop that. But in the preaching of the Word of God, which is what a church is supposed to be doing, the government has no business there. If we look at our government today, they don't even know what a good marriage is. They don't have any clue as to what the gospel is. So they don't know what they're talking about in the first place. And so they don't understand who is there to protect us, and that's God. And yes, we can get sick. And yes, there have been times when there have been people that have gotten sick and died from their sickness. But we know that this last three years, we know that that whole thing was a setup by wicked people. It was developed in a lab. It was never as deadly as they said it was going to be. They had hoped it would be more deadly, but it wasn't. And they tried to scare people, and they lied to us. And to this day, they're still lying to us. And too many people, today we were, uh, again, as getting fuel and paying for the gas. And, and uh, <clears throat> there was a person behind the till and at the one spot that uh, was wearing a mask. Why were they wearing a mask? But they've been brainwashed into thinking that, that they need to have a mask on even though everybody else around them did not have a mask on. But that's how foolish people are. And this was an adult. This was not a child. This was an adult who should know better. But when you don't have, have God as your God, <clears throat> you can't think straight, and you don't think straight. So going back to our matter here of this uh, infant corruption, infant communion, Again, it's based on the fact that people were not thinking. They were not reading the Bible. They were not studying the Bible. They were simply being coerced into believing what the Catholic uh, leaders were saying. And that is a problem. They, the Catholics were very much like the Pharisees of Jesus' day. And the Pharisees also threatened people. We know that in John chapter 9 they cast a man out of the synagogue because he credited Jesus with giving him his eyesight. And uh, so they cast him out. And that was the threat that, that the people got. And then the people, uh, the people were so dependent upon the synagogue, not upon faith in God, that they didn't want to be cast out of the synagogue. It's just like the Catholics do. They say that they can excommunicate you from their religion if you don't follow their dogmas. Now, 
who cares? The Catholic religion is a false religion, and anybody that's born again would leave that religion immediately or soon after, as the Word of God bears fruit in their lives. And so that's not a threat at all. But uh, it is a threat uh, when God says that we need to discipline people if they don't want to follow what the Bible says. When a Christian doesn't want to follow what the Bible says, and they need to be disciplined and uh, sent out as a publican and a sinner, that speaks hard to the heart of that individual. God knows that, and that's why he set it up that way. He doesn't want his children to be wallowing in the mud. He wants them to know his forgiveness and his blessing. And so he has it set up for church discipline to help his children, those who are truly saved, to live for him and to walk with him faithfully. So the second thing that we want to look at is the worship of Mary. Now, again, as the Catholic religion became more organized in its corruption, and another thing that they did, again, to get away from the Word of God, is to get away from Jesus Christ as the only Savior. They didn't want that. And so, again, ever learning, never coming to the knowledge of the truth. And so, instead of following what the Bible says and submitting to that, because it was already a, a humanistic religion, a man-made religion, so therefore they began to develop all kinds of things that had nothing to do with the Bible and brought them in and made that the religion of the people. So Mary worship in the 5th century, it was being pushed quite hard that Mary was needed for man to be saved. And <clears throat> what we have in, we talked about this last time, in the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah was told to address the sin of the queen of heaven. The Babylonian religion had a queen of heaven. That's a false idea. There is no queen of heaven, but they had it. And the, the nation of Israel was adopting the Babylonian religion instead of following God. And so they were also guilty of worshiping the queen of heaven. So the Mary worship is nothing new. It's just the name has changed. It's now, it's Mary. But it's still considered to be Mary being uh, the immaculate conception and, and a perpetual virgin, never having any other children besides Jesus, being without sin, and uh, being the co-redemptrix with Jesus Christ. And all of this is all heresy. It, it's not from the Bible. It's not true. It's made up. But again, many people don't read their Bibles. And if they do, they read it with the instruction of their leader in mind. And so they read it through that lens. And so <clears throat> it's, it's a corrupt view of how to study the Bible, how to look at it, and how to be blessed by the study of the Bible. So we don't have any other Savior besides Jesus Christ. If you go in your Bibles to John chapter 2, John chapter 2, we have the record of the first miracle that Jesus did. And, and that's important as well 
that we understand this in verse 11 just to look at that it says this beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee there are people out there that assume that Jesus did miracles as a boy that he would heal a broken wing on a bird and different things like that the Bible tells us that this this uh, miracle that he did here in Cana was the beginning This was the first miracle that he did. And we notice in this passage that Jesus was invited to a wedding and his mother was there as well. And Jesus' disciples were there as well. And in verse 5, we see a very important statement that Mary made that Catholics would be wise to listen to and all of us would be wise to listen to. And it says there, His mother saith unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. Not whatsoever I say, but whatsoever he saith. Mary understood that Jesus was the authority, not her. She didn't have any answer for the need that they had at this wedding. They were out of wine, which was grape juice. It wasn't alcoholic wine. We know that from the context. They ran out. Mary knew about it, and she mentioned it to Jesus, but Mary didn't have any clue what to do. She didn't tell Jesus what he should do. She just stepped back and told the servants to listen to what Jesus would tell them. And so that's, that's an indication right there that Mary understood that she was not the one in charge. She's not a a co-redemptrix with Jesus Christ. She's not there to help him to save people. She couldn't even give him a suggestion as to what to do here at this wedding. And so it's it's a heresy that the Catholics have developed in Mary worship. In Luke chapter 11, verses 27 and 28... Luke chapter 11, verse 27 and 28, we read there, it says, And it came to pass, as he spake these things, a certain woman of the company lifted up her voice and said unto him, Blessed is the womb that bare thee and the paps which thou hast sucked. But he said, Yea, rather, blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. So here in the time when Jesus was on this earth, There were people already that wanted to elevate Mary to a position she didn't have. And instead of exalting her, because Mary was just a vehicle that God chose, the Holy Spirit came upon Mary and brought about the conception that brought about Jesus Christ in the flesh. Mary had nothing to do except being the vehicle. So for those who came here, a certain woman, it says in verse 27, of the company lifted up her voice and said unto him, Blessed is the womb that bare thee and the paps that thou, which thou hast sucked. No, that's not where the blessing belongs. And Jesus taught that in verse 28. The blessing is to those who hear the word of God. It's God that's important. It's God who gave Mary the privilege of being the carrier of Jesus Christ in her womb, in the flesh. Not his deity, but his humanity. And so there's been a lot of misunderstanding in regard to the word of God throughout the centuries. 
And the Catholics deliberately chose to elevate Mary to a place she doesn't belong, and millions of people, probably millions, thousands at least, have believed the Catholic lie, and they have prayed to Mary, and together with that, they have prayed to uh, dead saints, and dead people, I should say, that the Catholic religion calls saints. They're not saints, but they're dead people. And all of that was developed by the Catholic religion. And so we need to understand the importance of God's truth. So the third point that we have, as we've already alluded to, is two things further that were developed in the, by the time of the 8th century, and that is image worship and worship of saints. And we already talked about that in the Catholic religion, a saint is not a born-again Christian, but it's someone who has died, and after they have died, through their influence or through their whatever, there's been a miracle that has been done after they died. Now, that doesn't happen, but in the Catholic religion it does because they lie. And so that's what, it, that's what is required in order for a person to be classified as a saint by the Catholics. In the Bible, a saint is someone who knows the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. That's a saint. A saint is someone who's born again. That's what the Bible teaches. And that's what we need to hold to, not what the Catholics teach. And we need to understand the importance of what the Word of God says. And so that's very important for us to understand that and to believe that as we go through our daily lives as Christians. That this worship of saints is unbiblical. It's a form of idolatry, as is the image worship. And if you live in an area where there are Catholics, you know that they have an image of Mary. That's quite common. But they also have other images. They have images of people that have died and that they have made saints. And they will have that image and they will use that image. They have one for traveling and one for things that are lost and so on. And, and it's all heresy. It's all false teaching. It keeps people from the truth. And sadly... There are many people who follow that rather than following what the Word of God says. And so it's very important for us to build our lives upon the truth and not upon the fictitious and actually evil teachings of men. So in anything, I've told that many times to the people that that I have pastored, don't believe what I say just because I tell you. Uh, in, when it comes to doctrine, we need to see it in the Bible. Where does the Bible say this? And that's important that we use the Bible because it is the Word of God. The Bible is the, the Word of God in, in all things. So if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, for instance. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And you see in verse 1, it says, Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, 
to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. So here we see that a saint is someone that is sanctified in Christ Jesus, set apart unto holiness. And how can we do that? In Christ Jesus. I can't make myself holy. And what the Catholics do is they take someone that has died and then they determine that that person is holy. Whereas the Bible says that we're set apart in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. So again, a saint is someone who is alive, someone who has been saved, gloriously saved by God through the blood of Jesus Christ. Their faith is in Jesus Christ alone. They've turned to God in repentance and trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ alone to save them. And that's what makes them a saint. Not the fact that that they, after they died, it's determined that they've done some great thing after they died. It's while they're alive that they demonstrate that they're a saint because they've turned to God and trusted in Jesus Christ for their salvation. Not based on works. It's based on who you're trusting in, who you are. Now we know from the Bible, and that's very clear in the Bible, that when a person is saved, they're changed. And we noted that this morning in our devotional, that Saul, when he was saved, God changed his name to Paul. That was a reminder to Paul and also to everyone that knew him from before. His name was changed, but more importantly, Paul's character was changed. When Ananias was told to go to Paul and pray for him that he'd receive his sight, Ananias was afraid to do that. He knew who Saul was before he was saved. He knew that. And now he's told to go and pray for him, and he was scared to do that. But God assured him that Saul had been saved. The saints in Jerusalem were also afraid to meet with, with Saul because they knew who he was before. And now they were supposed to meet with him and treat him as a brother. And so Barnabas was used of God to help them to see the importance of trusting and, and accepting him into the fellowship of the saints. That was because he had been changed. Now today there are many people who profess to be saved, but they're not changed. They keep their foul mouth, they keep their swearing, they keep their booze, they keep different things that they did. They keep all of that, but they, they want to be known as Christians. And that's not a biblical Christianity. And that's important for us to teach that in our churches. I realize that when you teach that, you offend people. They don't want to be told that. They want to be accepted in their sin. But if we're going to help them, we need to teach what God's Word says. And when we teach what God's Word says, we can actually help people to be saved and to walk as Christians. Instead of assuming they're saved and finding out after they died that they didn't go to heaven, but they went to hell. They can't come back from there. So if we truly love people, we're going to want to help them 
to actually know the truth and not to be uh, caught up in their sin and living in their sin uh, day after day and week after week and year after year. So one of the things that we mentioned last time, I'm going to mention again now as well, is that when you look at church history in the early years of the churches and the early centuries, you find that they had various names called Donatists, Patrines, Paterines, Cathari, Paulicians, Anabaptists, and later on Petrobrusians, Arnoldists, and Henricians, and Albigenses, and Waldenses. And we know that there are many other names that, that uh, they were given. Some of the names that they were given, they were given those names to identify them, to set them apart by the enemies of God, and to set them apart, and sometimes their name was taken after the man that seemed to be their leader. And so they were given a name after that man. Whether that man actually was their leader, but they were given that name, oh, you're one of those. Just like I talked earlier about Calvinists. Calvinists follow John Calvin. He's their leader. Uh, the ungodly, they have no problem with that name. But true Christians have a problem with that name. But a Calvinist is someone that is marked off by someone who has many false teachings regarding who God is, what salvation is, what a Christian is. And so that's what makes them a Calvinist. So as we look at some of the names, one of the names that I mentioned is Anabaptist. The Anabaptists, the, the Mennonites would fall into the group of Anabaptists. Now, Menno Simons, the founder, well, he wasn't the founder, but after he died, the Mennonites took his name and called themselves Mennonites after Menno Simons. Menno Simons uh, was a man who was trained as a Catholic priest. He was a Catholic priest. And he was saved, and when he was saved, he left the priesthood, and then he started studying the scriptures, and he was blessed by God with the ability to study and to lay things out to be a good teacher, and so he gained a following. There were people that followed him, and he taught them the scriptures. And he wanted the people to build upon the word of God. And at the time of Menno Simons, at that time frame, those who rejected infant baptism and baptized people upon confession of faith, the unbelievers, they called them Anabaptists. And Anabaptist, the word Anna in Anabaptist means another. And so what the Catholics and other unbelievers believed is that the Anabaptists were having another baptism. When from my study, the Anabaptists preferred to be called Catabaptists because Cata means one. The Anabaptists or the Catabaptists, they actually did not accept infant baptism. They rejected it. It was not a baptism. And so they were not having another baptism, but they were having a baptism when the person was actually saved when they were actually born again. And that's what the Bible teaches, that baptism is by immersion, and it is always upon confession of faith. You don't baptize a baby. 
You don't baptize to get a person into the church. You baptize a person after they have been saved. That's when baptism takes place. It's a, it's a picture, the Bible teaches us, of a person dying to their old self and being raised up in newness of life in Christ. That's the picture in baptism. So, while you find very often in church history the phrase Anabaptist, uh, but when I was doing my studies on that whole matter, that's when I came across the term catabaptist, and kata meaning one. And that was what they preferred to be called because they did not accept a second baptism. So Menno Simons, going back to him, uh, if he were alive today, he would be in a group like what I'm pastoring right now. He would be an independent Baptist because he taught the Word of God. He wasn't a denominational man. He wasn't a Protestant. He would have been an independent Baptist. A Protestant is someone who protests something. And there are many groups, the, the Calvinists, for instance, Martin Luther as well, they protested certain things in the Catholic religion. Uh, Martin Luther never wanted to leave the Lutheran or the Catholic religion. That wasn't his goal. His goal was to change the Catholic religion. And the Catholics didn't want to change and so they had a hatred for him and wanted to kill him. And uh, he was protected. And eventually he started his own group and named after himself, after Luther, so called Lutherans. And, uh, but he also killed those Catabaptists, or as history puts it many times, Anabaptists. He also killed them. He was no different than the Catholics. Some of the things he didn't like was the uh, um, um, indulgences where a person paid for their sins and so on, uh, like that. But there were many things that he had no problem with in, in regard to the Catholic religion. So <clears throat> when we look at church history and we look at some of the men that have been elevated to a place that they don't deserve, it's important to do some study on these men to not just accept what people tell you, but actually, who were these men? And should we be elevating them? Should we be using them as a pattern to follow after? Or should we just discard them and say, well, yeah, they were there in history, but here's who they really were. And we need to build again upon the truth. And we need to build upon men who actually were sound, God-fearing men who chose to lead their people in being grounded in the Word of God, not being grounded in traditions of men, but grounded in the Word of God. And that's still the kind of men that we should be looking for today. You need to be looking for someone who's actually going to teach you what the Bible says and not just blindly lay out before you the traditions of men just because, well, this is how we've always done it. We need to follow what God says. And there are many things that need to change when we take God at his word, when we are truly saved and we follow him. And that's important. That's not a bad thing to change things for the right reason. To become more biblical, 
to be able to help others to know how to walk with God as they ought to as well. So we're out of time. We're going to continue this next time, church history. And again, if you have any questions, you can email me. Our email is on our website. And you can email me and uh, ask those questions or you can phone us. Our phone number is there as well. We'd be happy to try to help you to see why we believe what we believe and to help you to build your faith upon the truth, the Word of God, not the opinions of people. So if you're listening and you're not saved, that's the place to start. You need to be born again. That's what the Bible teaches. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God and he can't enter it. So you can't understand the things of God until you're saved. You can't enter, you can't go to heaven unless you're saved. So that's the important thing. And God's word teaches clearly how a person is to be saved and who does the saving. And it's not man, it's God. And so we're here to help you. And uh, we're going to close with a word of prayer now. And uh, thank you for joining us. Our Heavenly Father, we're thankful again for thy word, thankful again for the truthfulness of thy word, for the privilege we have of studying it. I pray that our studies in church history would be helpful, that we would understand that just as we look at church history and we can see a lot of corruption there, and we can understand the reason for that corruption. It's always because people put man ahead of God. And that's wrong. That's sin. And so today we need to be careful that we're not putting man ahead of thyself. That we're honoring thee and seeking to help others to know the truth as well. So we pray that thy will would be accomplished in our lives. That we would glorify thee. And that we would honor thee in what we say and do. That we can help others to know the truth as well. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.